So I'm having a little bit of deja vu right now. Uh, the last time I woke up early to record a show uh, across uh, time zones, it came on a day where I had gone to a concert the night before and I totally slept in and missed the call. And what do you think has happened uh, this time that I'm calling across time zones again? I went to a concert last night. But you didn't sleep in. I didn't sleep in. I, and you know what? I almost did. My alarm went off and I grabbed my phone and I was ready to hit snooze. I was like, why is my phone going off so early? And I was like ready to hit snooze and just roll back over. But no, no, I made it this time. The concert was good again. Like, And, and this time I made the show. So I'm, I'm hopeful that this is a sign that I can be taught. Yeah, I'm glad you're here. Welcome to wherever you are. My name is Ryan McNeil in Toronto, Canada. You are listening to episode 214 of the Matinee Cast. It's the movie loving podcast on my movie loving website, thematinee.ca, your home for cinematic passion and perspective. Many moons ago, this podcast used to go all around the world to bring you fine listeners' episodes. I made calls to Finland, to New Zealand, to India. But in the last year or two, my, uh, my calls have slowed for one reason or another. And, well, I miss it. I miss the community. I miss the perspectives. I miss the accents. So I thought, what better way to start off 2019 than to take what was old and make it new again? So to bring the international opinion back to the show, uh, I reach out to a woman I've been following for years and I just haven't happened to get fully on the show uh, up until now. Um, she did a segment when we were doing a blind spot show several years ago, but uh, hasn't done a full episode and it's time for that to change. She is the wonderful writer whose work you can find on MetalRay.com. Uh, wait a minute. Before I go any further, uh, uh, inquiring minds need to know, what exactly is Metal Ray? Oh, it's like a, a writing name, I would say. Uh, oh, it's, 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 your, it's your alias. Yeah, it's my alias because um, oh, okay. I was writing um, in high school to a mm. competition and I had to pick a name. And, of course, I couldn't use mine. So I picked this name which is sort of, the first name is sort of similar to my actual name, which is Getter, but uh, the last name is just... Okay. It it sort of rhymed. Um, So I went with that when I was picking a blog name because I just didn't know what else to call it. And, Um, and And now you're stuck with it. And I'm stuck with it, but I like it. I use it like on Instagram, on Twitter, everywhere. It's like... It's like a different person online. And I, I love, I, yeah, no, I, I love it. It's, it's, um, you know, it's, it's the same, like Mark Twain. That wasn't his real name. Diablo Cody. That's not her real name. You know, I, I like it. It's a, it's a great little, it's a great little thing. I just, I wasn't sure if it was something I, I didn't know about, something that I'm not cool enough to know. So there we go. She's on metalray.com. Um, you can also <laughs> hear her work on Across the Universe, the Chicks with Accent podcast. We're across a wire to Estonia this morning. Welcoming, get the drum seat to the show. How are are you today? I'm excellent. How are you? I'm uh, the tea is working. I'm awake. I'm, I'm coherent. Uh, it's it's early on a Saturday, but I'm here. Um, on episode 214, we will be discussing Destroyer. We'll be turning the record over to play the other side. But first, we need to learn more about it. That this is know your enemy. Okay, I'm excited because it's been a little while since I've had a first-time guest. Uh, get to, oh. uh, please let me stop talking for a while. What is the first film you can remember seeing in a theater? 
Uh, I'm not gonna lie. Uh, it took me some time to come up with a solid answer because I, I hardly remember my first theater experience. Could have I asked think your parents. It, yeah, but it wasn't my parent. It was my grandmother. Oh, okay. Uh, who took me? Yeah, and it was 101 Dalmatians. Oh. So <laughs> I, I, I hardly, I actually don't remember the plot or anything. It's not my favorite Disney cartoon or. Like, I, lo I, lo I love Lion King more, mm -hmm. but I, I w really wanted to go on a train ride and to the cinema when I was seven and eight. And my grandmother kind of took me to both as like the first time experience. And that's what I remember. So you, but, took, the, you took the train to the cinema? <laughs> no, that was like separate. Oh, okay. Day. But like okay. That, like during that time when I was going to school, everybody was like, oh, I've been to the cinema and stuff. And I, was, I didn't remember that I had been. So my grandmother took me for the first time. Okay. I, no, I was just going to say, if you if you took your first train ride and your first movie experience <laughs> on the same day, that would be amazing. That'd be like, you know, top five days ever. Yeah. But I, I didn't live in that small place. Right, as right. Up. Yeah, my, <laughs> we had a theater, but it wasn't very huge. Like I remember talking to people who had their like first experiences with like Star Wars or Jurassic Park. Uh, I don't think we had that in Estonia. We didn't have that kind of enthusiasm for cinema when I was growing up. Huh. Uh, but it has like grown into a more more enthusiastic uh, cinema country, I think. But still, right. it's so tiny and. And we don't have red carpet events, so it's, mm. we don't see any celebrities. No. Do you remember yeah. anything about the actual experience of going? Like, do you remember anything about the, the place that you went or anything that you might have eaten or anything about going with your grandmother that day? No, it was really cold. <laughs> <laughs> the movie theater was really cold. I remember oh, no. the chairs. But yeah, but I remember the chairs just because I went to that theater many years afterwards as well and they were very uncomfortable by the time i, I grew up and right. i was a teenager because the chairs were just old um theater chairs that they kind of took and borrowed yeah. Yeah, from okay. the theater they switched it but i bet you know what i bet seven or eight year old you probably loved sitting in those chairs probably i don't remember that's the worst part like i yeah. wish i did but i think i started to appreciate movies and theater much later on in life disney's supposed to be doing a live action version of that now did you hear about that they've got emma stone oh. as corella deville yeah oh really that would be interesting but i'm more <laughs> yeah. excited about lion king i think of course that's, of course that's like yeah, my movie when i grow up there we go. Um, what's one of the last movies you watched that's not one of the movies we're going to talk about today? Uh, 1998's Velvet Goldmine. Oh, Velvet Goldmine. It's been so long since I watched that movie. See, I saw it for the first time this year. Really? Can you imagine? I, I love the fact that I saw it for the first time because I think it was the correct time to see it because I appreciate its artistic contribution to movies much more now. Than I would have like ten years ago, maybe, because it's, it's so different. It's different, and I mean, it's it's strange. In some ways, it's kind of dropped down under the radar. Like, I mean, it's a Todd Haynes film, and he's not he's not a slouch or anything like that. He's 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 quite a name. Um, but just, I mean, the movie now is you know like twenty one years old, and I kind of feel like there's a lot of people who either didn't see it or haven't heard of it. Is this your kind of music as well, like the David Bowie Iggy Pop uh, music that kind of influences not, the film? Not, no, not at all. I don't. I don't know what it is, but I um, 
I'm I'm trying to be musically more open to everything, pretty much. Mm, okay. So uh, I I can like uh, A Star Is Born, and I can like Velvet Goldmine. Like mm-hmm. it doesn't matter because everything that fits around the music helps to elevate the effect of that song or that you know sounds, music, everything. So the experience was probably very interesting and to read about the fact that it was sort of David Bowie inspired but not exactly yeah uh, was uh, very interesting for me because I wouldn't say that I don't know David Bowie's work and music but I do I do a little but I'm not like a huge fan because I didn't right. grow up with it so yeah yeah but it's still very interesting I mean there's so many like Evan McGregor and Christian Bale First of all, Christian Bale doesn't do an American accent in this one, which was the no. first thing I just... <laughs> was like, oh, British accent, what? Because now he only seems to do American accents now, but... Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the um, costume, oh. Yeah, it's this, yeah, this movie, it's, it's so pretty. It's so lush. Mm-hmm. It's so colorful. Um, you know, it's, it's like night, like bright and sexy and, uh, as I said, just dripping with great music and and um, like concerts and parties. Um, yeah. uh, I, I can't remember the last time I watched this, but now I think that might be the next thing I do when this is done. And I, I take it you like this movie. Yeah, I did. Uh, it was very bold and it was very shocking. And with so many like musicals coming back to sort of the scene again, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it's very interesting to go back and to see musicals that were made in the 90s that were like, completely out of this world yeah yeah it was it was ahead of its time in a lot of ways yeah it was so many different styles clashing together and i read that it wasn't very good in the box office or anything but it has had like a cult following afterwards so yeah yeah it made made, like no money oh i I think yeah i I think i can get my hands on a copy i'm totally gonna watch that later on today (laughs) thank you so much for reminding me what is one of the worst movies you have ever seen it's the snowman oh no Oh yeah, and and it's like it's been two years now almost, and I I can still remember me sitting in the theater thinking to myself, what what went wrong, <laughs> what what is happening? Because um, it's it's a movie that on paper should work so well, and like bad movies are bad. Like you can accept that. I like some bad movies, like because they're not trying too hard to be masterpieces but mm-hmm. with the snowman you have so many people who are and should put out work that's extremely good and then you get this which is horrible words <laughs> <laughs> I, I I mean it's it's based on a really popular book too, right? Yeah. Now now I'm scared to read the book because I don't think the book is bad. I think it's actually very decent. But when we meet the killer of of you know the plot twist, apparently I yeah. knew right away. Hmm. So there was no question in my mind. I was like, I told my mom, "Oh, that's the killer," and she was, "How do you know?" I'm like, "Oh well, you'll see." <laughs> <laughs> and he that... was because it was so obvious. Yeah. It was really lazily made movie with like you know Fassbender is so good most okay. of the time right but like, he has had so many mishaps now that I'm not sure where he is in in his career but oh, that's no. it's even worse than 50 shades of gray because I knew Ooh. that 50 shades of gray was going to be bad okay so I went in with that 
Like it's go- I'm gonna laugh because it's so bad. But with the snowman, I expected more, and it just let me down immensely. I think that's that's the thing is when we when we start going into these movies with expectations of you know it's it's oh well the book was supposed to be good and Fassbender is yeah. usually good. Um, you know that that's that's when things really kind of cut out from under us right i yeah i I always i I did wonder about that movie because i know i saw like people kind of making jokes with that with that (laughs) little doodle on social media and and everything and i didn't hear a single good thing about it so i was like what happened to the snowman so (laughs) i think i thank you for taking that bullet for me and now making it that i could just pass by i'm still suffering apparently (laughs) (laughs) so it would seem um i'm happy to be therapeutic for you um well you mentioned earlier uh off mic that you are keeping up with the blind spot series so this uh, question might lead into that but what is a classic or essential film that you have not yet seen? Uh, so I picked uh, like a pick from this year's that I'm going to see this year. So it's uh, Rear Window by Hitchcock. Oh. Um, yeah, it wouldn't be my first Hitchcock movie. I've seen Psycho, at mm-hmm. least, and God, uh, I've seen something. <laughs> uh, but I haven't seen Rear Window, and I'm quite excited for it. That's a movie that holds up, like, I mean, all of Hitchcock's movies thankfully hold up rather well there's one or two that flopped at the time that are still kind of kind of bad in, in hindsight but there's they're they're better than they they seemed at the time i only heard good things about rear yeah. windows that's oh, why yeah. I- yeah rear window it's um i mean it's been it's crazy because it's been copied um so many ways over so many times um in in just in the way of of, of its structure of looking out the uh, looking out the window onto somebody else's <laughs> life. Um, the thing that I'd be interested in, maybe this is something that you could look for when you go to write about it afterwards, is I'm kind of curious how it seems now in the age of social media. Like, I feel sort of like what the what the um, Jimmy Stewart character does in this movie when he's sitting at his window just looking in out onto people's lives i feel like some of us are doing that now online like i feel like we're kind of mm-hmm. orbiting people's profiles and their their pages and that kind of thing and and doing what he does and just making up our own little narratives yeah i think the curiosity of the human mind is still like relevant even nowadays when we scroll on instagram it's pretty much the same uh yeah, well, now i think it's worse yeah, now we have more access to it. Um, it's it's funny you bring it up because I just watched uh, You uh, on Netflix. It was um, also based on a book, like a thriller, and it was pretty much about stalking. It wasn't a good series, but like just the idea of the fact that this guy was able to pick up like where she was going, where she was. It it kind of like woke you up in like a sense that I'm not gonna tag myself in any place when I'm gonna go there. Just in case. Just in case, uh, yeah, you never know. Just in case, yeah. Um, maybe afterwards, like when I've been there like two weeks ago, uh, <laughs> I'll put the photo up or something. But oh, yeah, nice. we share a lot about ourselves online. And the concept of Rear Window will probably reflect that in a way, I think. I, but I, think, will, I think so. Yeah. Because um, the first thing that comes to mind is... Um, uh, with the Shia LaBeouf, what was the movie where he uh, was? Disturbia, I think. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That was like the first one that came to mind when I thought about Rear Window as like mm. a movie nowadays. Like he was also, he he was taken away his yeah. uh, 
phone and stuff, so he was just had his creepy creepy habit of at his neighbor. I, I always envy people who are able to see some of these classics for the first time, and that's a really good movie. Grace Kelly, that movie is so wonderful. Um, Jim Jim Stewart in every movie is wonderful. Um, so I'll definitely look forward to what you uh, what you come up with when you get to see it. Um, and, and yeah, like if, if I could kind of like, you know, give you a nudge, I'd say use that as an excuse to get into more uh, Hitchcock, because the man's got you know, dozens of films and it's a, it's a really deep well for sure. Um, so enjoy. Uh, and last but not least for now, what is a film that for any rhyme or reason you wish you had made? Uh, so I'm going to go back with like a couple of questions and name 50 shades of gray again. Um, yeah. Oh wait. Um, because, um, I would, then if I can make it, I would own the movie rights and never make the movie. Uh, congratulations in 200 and some odd episodes. That is the first time somebody has come up with that logic for a movie. <laughs> then it wouldn't exist. So you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I, I love that answer so very much. So very, very much. Uh, you know, I got to confess something on the air here where people who still pay for cable. So I have movie mm. channels that I flip by every now and then when I'm looking for something, I'm not just... I'm not just um, restricted to platforms like Netflix and Hulu for my movies. And on these on-demand channels, uh, usually one or more of the Fifty Shades of Grey movies are listed. And every day that I don't choose one of them, I feel like I've accomplished something. Because I feel like I have not uh, given in to watching The Car Wreck. I know it's terrible. I, I have no actual desire to watch it. But it's, you know, it's one of these things that it's like, I, I kind of want to know what I'm speaking about when I talk about how terrible it is. So maybe, but no, every day that I flip past it and I don't choose it, I'm like, well, I don't care what else I did today. I may have screwed up at work. I may have eaten stuff that was bad for me, but I didn't tune into 50 Chase of Grey tonight. <laughs> yeah, that's good. But yeah, like, imagine good. I saw it in theaters, all three oh, movies. No. Uh, oh, no, no, no. <laughs> No, but the first one, um, because it came out in February when it's my birthday as well, so it kind of was sort of like my own torture <laughs> to <laughs> celebrate my birthday with a double feature. So we usually went to Fifty Shades, and then afterwards we'll watch something good. Uh, one year we watched Fifty Shades, and then we went to see John Wick, uh, which was an amazing double feature, because John Wick seemed like a hundred times better than oh, yeah. the movie been alone but uh following 50 shades every movie will shine <laughs> <laughs> like there's no matter what you will watch afterwards it will be amazing because but it's funny like i'm sorry it's i mean it's so bad that you kind of have to laugh but um a lady next to me at the theater uh gave me the stink eye like at least 10 times like why are you laughing don't laugh and i'm like it's funny <laughs> It's incredibly funny. It's. I, I wonder if she thinks that she's sitting down to watch Schindler's List. No, they loved it. Like the wow. women. Like I heard women say, "Oh, it's such a good movie. I'm going to see it the second time." I'm like, "Who are these people?" Wow. I don't know, but like, I. Mm, it doesn't okay. like. I can't, I can't wrap my head around it. I can't believe you saw those movies each in theater on a double feature. It's amazing. <laughs> I I was committed to my blog. Uh, I have like. Uh, the Fifty Shades reviews, I, I wrote two. I, I didn't write the third one. Uh, the two first ones actually are one of my favorite reviews because I love trashing things because okay. uh, it gives you a different way of, like, 
looking at movies like, oh, I love this. No, I love how much they try to make it sound good, but it was just awful. And then you kind of like start to realize what what you appreciate in movies when good things are taken away from the screen, like yeah. acting, yeah. like good <laughs> <Okay>. thing. <laughs> like craft um awesome i'm gonna leave links for your reviews in the show notes so if people want to see what get the thought of 50 shades and 50 shades more uh or sorry 50 shades darker uh you can you can read uh i listen at this point i think you should finish off your your writing series and write about 50 shades freed because if you went to if you if you wrote two you can write a third I know. I have to rewatch the movie, though. Well, I mean, it's I... it's it's one year anniversary is coming up, so what, yeah. what better time? Yeah, we should there do it. Go. I, I'm going to do it. Nice. Uh, that is a spectacular answer. Thank you for that. We'll learn more about <laughs> Geta when we get her back on the show. Hopefully it won't take me another 200-some-odd episodes to bring her back. For now, though, we have a movie to talk about, um, a holdover from last year, uh, an awards contender, which is making an early January release. We're going to talk about Destroyer right after this, so come on back. We're going to talk about the new slang in just a second. Destroyer is directed by Karen Kusuma. It's written by Phil Hay and Matt Manfredi. It stars Nicole Kidman, Sebastian Stan, Titania Maslany, Bradley Whitford, and Toby Kebbell. Nicole Kidman is Aaron Bell, a Los Angeles police detective who stumbles her way into a murder scene, almost literally. The unidentified body is accompanied by a marked $100 bill. The banknote is called back to a crime committed when she and her partner Chris, that's Sebastian Stan, were undercover infiltrating a California gang. She believes that her past is coming back to her, that a cold case is being cracked back open, and begins to seek out the leader of the gang, hoping to perhaps kill two birds with one stone and finally earn herself some peace. There aren't too many true movie stars in the current generation. Not too many names, not too many draws. If you don't believe me, ask your mom if she knows the difference between Chris Pine and Chris Pratt. Go ahead. I'll wait. One movie star, though, is Nicole Kidman. Talented, sophisticated, luminous, an undeniable presence. In Destroyer, though, she is threadbare and rundown. She looks tired and disheveled. She seems like she probably smells like Jim Beam and Paul Malls, but... Is this just a gimmick to draw us in? So, pop quiz hotshot. Is the crux of Destroyer watch Nicole Kidman play rough? Or is it something more? Does this film elevate beyond watch Nicole Kidman get ugly, get dirty, and get mean? Are you asking me? I'm asking you. I would say yes. It's really hard um for me to think about Destroyer without seeing Nicole Kidman's uh, physical transformation, I think. I think that was what the movie needed to maybe draw some attention to it. Okay. In, in, a, in a sense. Because with these small, smaller movies, I would say not small, but smaller movies, uh, you need to have something to um, spark an interest but at the same time, you need something to keep the mystery as well. So it's really hard with 
like for instance with the um movie trailers giving away a lot of information nowadays and about the movie and so on um these more tightly wind movies with a very um uh, i would say a very straightforward uh idea need to keep the ending at bay pretty much there's no denying that um this embodiment of a character by Nicole Kidman is certainly something different but I, I don't think it's a gimmick I think it's like it's just I just think it's a different character for her to play um, that kind of makes me uh, a little bit curious as to why it's taken her so long to play it uh, you know that, that's that's the thing is I, I'm not I didn't feel like I was looking at this and seeing a new side of Nicole Kidman. I just thought to myself, why haven't you done this before? Cause you're so very good at it. Um, you know, it's, it's not like watching, it's not like watching a movie where, um, a movie that's, that's also making the rounds right now that I hate is vice with Christian Bale. And it's not like watching Christian Bale kind of like either get fat or get skinny and start acting like another person, you know, that's starting to feel like a gimmick. I just feel like this is something Nicole Kidman hasn't done before. Um, and watching this movie, I think to myself, I wonder why she hasn't, maybe she's just at the point of the career at her career now where she's willing to take a few more risks and to leave movies like, bewitched back in the past um and 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 do you know or even just even you know great movies like moulin rouge or or the others where she's playing much more um stately and just do some different characters um i uh i take it you like this movie uh yeah i i i wouldn't i wouldn't say i loved it um i think it it needs a second viewing i saw it during a film festival quite like two months ago, mm-hmm. um, and I feel like I need to see it again to really understand it, because this movie is the sort of movie that probably gains a lot of importance with multiple viewings as well. But but you like that, that one viewing that you had already, like you did, you did enjoy it, right? It's hard to describe this sort of type of cinematography where it feels very heavy in terms of temperature. I'm not sure if I'm uh, say it feels very warm, okay. sort of. Um, but the plot itself is a very cold one. So the collision between a very warm-toned movie with a very ugly theme in, inside of it is very fascinating to see. But uh, coming back to Nicole Kidman, um, maybe taking on the risks to look like this, I think she may, might be more comfortable uh, in herself as well. Oh, sure. As a woman and, and accepting that she doesn't have to be pretty, um, to gain sort of acknowledge, like, I don't know, the Hollywood is changing a lot these f- last few years. Mm-hmm. And I feel like women are finally seeing that they don't have to play like a certain type of woman in order to be you know, an actress or like an A-class, you know. And I, and I feel like she was brave enough finally to break out and show what she can do. It's, yeah, that, you know what? That's a very, very good point because, you know, I to make the comparison, I brought up Christian Bale and Christian Bale's been doing, like Christian Bale's made his whole career basically yeah. on 
turning into these different men from movie to movie, like either going skinny or going fat or, you know, like looking like a crack addict or looking like a, a politician. <laughs> um, because of course he gets to, we don't, we don't seem, we haven't been letting the women do that kind of thing. And, and, play chameleon from role to role to role we want nicole kidman to look like nicole kidman um and now you're right we're we're kind of we're coming around the other side now and saying like let's let's you know why do only the boys get to transform like this exactly so yeah. um well, sure Theron did it once but she hasn't taken on that role yeah like, i mean We'll probably end up actually talking about that later in in the other side, but that's that's the thing too. Is I mean, Nicole Kidman herself even sort of did it with the hours when she was playing Virginia Woolf, but that was like stringy hair and a and a prosthetic nose. You know, that wasn't that was certainly wasn't like what we see here. Yeah, her beauty has always shined through, even Mm -hmm. without the makeup and so on. But here in Destroyer, it's it's sort of the beauty is completely faded in a good way. You know what it does remind me of actually is um, orange is the new black. If you ever want to kill some time, um, go through the cast list and compare their photos in the TV show in orange to Mm -hmm. photos of them on the red carpet or just like their, their normal actor headshots. And it's incredible to see, um, you know, kind of what they make all these women look like. And it's, it's, you know, they, they, they didn't go out there looking for actors who really looked down on their luck and like they could be criminals. They just happened to find talented actors and say, okay, what happens when we really, really like, you know, let your, let your eyebrows grow in and let your teeth look a little more gnarly and let your hair get a little frizzier. And, and what can we make you look like? And then you look at them when they're living their day to day lives and it's like, holy crap, you look, mm-hmm. I would never guess that's what you look like. Cause I'm used to you looking this other way. Um, but beyond just her looks, Kidman is incredible in this movie. I, I don't think I've ever seen, I certainly haven't seen her play this broken this this you know she's got a scene late in the movie actually where she's um her younger self uh and she's talking to sebastian stan when they're getting ready to kind of get deep into their undercover mission and she says i'm tired of being tired i want to come out the other side of this and Mm -hmm. i feel like the whole movie is her embodying that tired Mm -hmm. of being tired Yes, I, I. It's funny you bring up that scene because that was like probably my one of my favorite scenes of the film. Mm. Uh, because it does come, it it sort of um, splits the movie. Like up until that point, you have like a certain understanding of the character, mm-hmm. and in in that scene, she sort of changes in your head even though she has been this person in, in in the movie before as well. But you don't see it until you hear her voice, her words out loud, I think. Yeah. Admit it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, you when, when she says that, you realize you see that a lot in her older self. Like, this movie spends a lot of time uh, walking behind her. I, I kind of feel like the subtitle <laughs> yeah. for Destroyer could be Nicole Kidman's back. Um, yeah. Because that was a, a trailer as well, wasn't it? It, it was, yes, it, it was. But it just it comes up a lot. Uh, usually, when when we watch her moving from A to B, we're, we're following behind her, which I'm I'm certain yeah. is a deliberate choice, and it's actually a pretty neat trick. But you kind of see, 
you see that weight in her shoulders. You see that that uh, that lethargy in her in her footsteps of her putting this performance into her whole body. She's got that black leather jacket that just kind of that really just drapes on her the whole time too. It's it, it's a really wonderful performance by her. Really gritty performance. Yeah, it really gives you a different idea who who she is. Like I've seen so many Nicole Kidman movies. I've always liked her, um, but this is like a step up. It's like seeing a, a like a person, like an actor, surprise you. You know that she's good, but yeah. like like that good, like like that's like a good movie experience to be able to see somebody you thought was like one type of actor actress and she completely flips it and shows you but i can do this yeah i mean it's great that you put it that way because that actually makes me think how many actors and actresses out there have we like like how many how many actresses especially how many actresses out there have we kind of moved past because we realized we've just seen them do the same thing that they always do and meanwhile it's just like no 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 if we if we open up the door a little bit if we let them play different types of women if we write these roles for them and make these movies we're gonna see sides of these artists that we've never even considered yeah exactly and and the actress has to be brave enough to kind of take on the role as well and i feel like maybe now we'll be able to see more of these movies where 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 it it is a spoiler territory to discuss about her character that much but i feel like this character is a very um, new in terms of, of being a woman and in movies because yeah. this male character is very, I would say rough and even hard on the edges. And it's really hard to play these types of characters by women because you sort of start to dislike them. As Belle walks around the movie, uh, you know, we hear like everything from her, her other law enforcement officers to some of the lawyers that she meets to some of the criminals that she meets. It feels like nobody likes her. Did you, mm-hmm. did you find that like you were going along with that as well? Like that you were disliking her, that you were finding her to be like really, really broken and, and wanted her to get her shit together? Or did you feel sorry for her? Um, I disliked her. Really? But, yeah. But at the same time, I'm very drawn to characters who are unlikable. Mm. Uh, in movies, in shows, in books, everywhere, if if a character comes off rude or uh, obnoxious or like beaten down, I gravitate towards uh, gravitate towards them mm-hmm. because I think there's always a reason, and the mystery behind those characters is always the like the pulling point for me. So even oh, dislike okay. her. Um, I, I needed to know why. Like, I needed a reason, like, okay, I dislike her, but why is she like that? And that kind of kept me watching the movie. Okay, and, wow. And it, yeah, no, that's, and, and I mean, that's that's important too, right? Because that's yet another one of these little double standards is mm-hmm. we can we can watch television shows where, uh, where, where characters like Walter White and Tony Soprano and Don exactly. Draper do terrible things and we tune in <laughs> week after week, but yet as soon as one of their female counterparts does something equally as terrible, we call them names and we, we wanna, we don't like them. We wanna put, you know, we wanna put things off. So to have us follow Belle around and watch her basically, you know, we, we don't really even see her 
do that much drinking, but you get the impression that she's walking okay. around hungover most of the time. Um, <laughs> but, and, 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 you know, I said she looks like she smells like palm malls and yet we don't ever really see her smoke either. But that's, again, that's just my impression for how, for how hard she seems to have lived. Um, I, I got the impression from our, from our correspondence back and forth before this, episode began that uh, you were really excited to talk about Sebastian Stan. So let's talk about him in this movie. Oh yes. Um, he's, <laughs> he's combined. He's, um, He's confined to the flashbacks. He was yeah. Bell's partner when they when they infiltrated this gang. Um, I I like what we're seeing out of Sebastian Stan uh, now that he's getting more roles beyond Bucky Barnes. What did you What did you think of him in this movie? Uh, I really liked him. It's it it's the same. We're seeing an actor in a very different role. Mm. Uh, I knew he do, he has done like of course Avengers. I don't know if it's drama. It's adventure mostly. Mm-hmm. So he's he's okay in that one because his character is very like very easy to digest in yeah. a way. Yeah, it's very simple characteristics. But um, I mostly seen him in more comedic roles. Uh, even in I Tanya, he was like mostly funny. Oh yeah. Uh, there's one movie I can't remember with a blonde and about skiing or something. The bronze. Was, yeah, exactly. What was oh. the, that was an awful movie. <laughs> it's yeah, it's, it's not very good. I listen. That's a movie. I saw that movie in a theater by myself. I was the oh. only person in that theater. I'm actually surprised they played the movie. Um, it's Melissa Rock from The Big Bang Theory, oh, yeah. and she's uh, yeah, she's like a Tanya Harding esque uh, gymnast, and she's she decides to coach, and he's another coach, and they it's it's pitch black comedy but he's so good in that movie yeah he is uh, that i liked him like i didn't like the movie but i liked him in the movie yeah. so i i sort of had this idea of him being adventurous and comedic but in destroyer he's able to tap into more of a more serious character mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I really like him. Like he is European, so I kind of feel biased by it. But uh, <laughs> he comes off extremely likable. He like does, very- and I mean, he has to put a lot into. Um, he has to put a lot into his body language because we spend, you know, every time we see him, he's either having these really clandestine one-on-ones with Bell when they're talking about mm-hmm. how they're going to pull off this this sting operation that they're doing or he is undercover and he has yeah. to you know not betray who he actually is while surrounded with terrible people you know and that and that's the thing like I could never do that I know that I would eventually betray myself but he has to come off as this kind of nefarious person who wants into this life. So there's a lot of times where you can see, you know, just the quickest look in his eyes across the room to Belle mm-hmm. that he doesn't agree with what's happening or he wants to kind of go to her and, and protect her or intervene with what's going on with her. But he can't because that will be, you know, that will make things even worse. So he has to he has to do that quite a few times. He has to betray himself but just ever so subtly and and sebastian stan does that pretty well yeah he does very good eye acting yes (laughs) he's he's a great actor from the nose up yeah very subtle but but yeah i think like imagine the like we appreciate actors and 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 you mentioned that he has to be two different uh people in in 
maybe two different scenes, but he is a person himself. So he literally plays like three t- three different people at once, pretty much, mm-hmm. because he is a, a cop, and then he's a cop undercover, and then he's also uh, with Belle, he is himself as a character. One thing I like that you bring up about those scenes is there are scenes later on with... Um with Belle's daughter. And what I love about those scenes, the scenes with her and Chris and the scenes with her and her daughter is it really adds this tender human side to this very ugly story. Like I think it's really easy to write a story like this. That's all gross and all nasty and all violent, but to infuse it with these moments of real humanity is what carries us along through this, through this brutal story. You do see an ugly side, but there's always a, like a silver lining to Mm. everything. And, and, um, I feel like the movie had a very nice balance of, of showing enough of the beautiful things like the little moments in the flashbacks and, and, and with the daughter. But at the same time, it it sort of brutally, honestly showed those beautiful things crumble. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, something more beautiful came out of it as well. It's, very, uh, it's very hard to not go into spoilers. Uh, <laughs> well, we w- yeah, we yeah. will in a bit. That's for sure. But the one thing I do want to actually talk about um, just before we get to a spoiler section is, um, you know, this is a Karen Kusuma movie. She has, in the past has done movies like Girl Fight and Eon Flux. Um, she did a great movie uh, two or three years ago called The Invitation. And I think I, I don't think it's a reach to call this a really macho movie. It's a really like violent, gritty, heavy, um, you know, if for lack like to to use an old phrase it's kind of a guy's movie which mm-hmm. is what i like about it because i you know as as, as much as i am a, a huge champion for for women in film i feel like mm-hmm. when you bring up that conversation people kind of drift to the same type of story over and over they either they, they always kind of think that it's going to be some sort of um personal uh, intimate um, human journey for you know just a regular working mom or, or something like that like I think that if you mention a, a female filmmaker that people's brains automatically go to a certain type of movie not all of them bad I'm not trying to say that but I don't think that you necessarily jump to the these kinds of movies that um, Patty Jenkins makes and Lexi Alexander makes and um, certainly that um Catherine Bigelow makes uh, did you did you kind of see that kind of thing that this is this is a this is Karen Kusuma telling a really um more brutal story that we're not kind of used to uh when we think about female filmmakers or am I out on a limb no I don't think you are because uh I didn't look into the movie a lot when I went to see it uh I only knew about Nicole's transformation uh, and I've only seen, I only had saw uh, the trailer before, which had nothing except her walking uh, <laughs> from behind, pretty much. Uh, so I didn't know it was made by a female director. And I wouldn't say I would have guessed it based on the film. I and wouldn't that- have thought it was a female behind the director's position. Um, because I think it's it's in our nature to be more nurturing 
sure. um, as men. So I think we tend to put that in the movies as well. We uh, tend to nurture um, through some character or, or usually the main character. But here she asks to strip away all that nurture from a female character. And you're kind of left with a very, I wouldn't say a male character, but an undefined uh, female in a sense that she is um, a cop, which usually, you know, think of male characters in that sense. Um, she's a mother, but she isn't a very good one uh, also. Uh, so he ha- she has a lot of male characteristics, I think. I mean... And- like you know, to further to your point, it's this kind of this movie. It's so unique that if in in its writing um, and, and in what in the roles it assigns to its characters, that you could very easily flip the characters. You could very easily make Sebastian Stan the haggard cop trying to solve something out of his past. Bad father. He lost his female partner. Um, and and you could still make this movie work. So I, I think that's kind of what I'm what I'm getting at is you said yourself, when you saw this movie, you didn't necessarily see Karen Kusama's eye in it when you were watching it at the time. Now I imagine if you go back and rewatch it, you will. Mm-hmm. But that that's the kind of thing that I, I love is there's more than one story to tell from the female perspective. And I, I want the artists to get more chances like this to tell cop stories and crime stories and drug stories and action movies and whatever. I don't only want it to be coming of age stories um, because that kind of seems to be the box that we're, we're painting these women into. Yeah. I think it's also like a bold move to take a different route. Yeah. Uh, it will either work out or not. Like we, we talked about the fact that it, we're not used to seeing women in, in this sort of a dislikable role. Because mm-hmm. uh, we always co- sort of want to romanticize female characters. Uh, it's just psychologically we want them to be women that nurture and, and have this so- softer side, I would say. Mm-hmm. But to kind of roughen up a female character that way... Um, we're showing that women can be different. They don't have to fit a mold that's created by society. Yeah, and and, and it's amazing to see that on screen. Yeah, exactly. Because uh, I feel like books uh, are starting to slowly get there uh, already, with very like variations of, of female characters having um, male characteristics. I would say that's like the easiest way. That's a very simple way to describe this, but. Um, but women who don't want children or, or women who, I don't know, uh, do male-specific things. I don't know. It's, it's very hard to describe. Yeah. Um, I, you know what? Like you bring, it, you bring up a good point. And what it makes me excited about is I, I feel like we are going to be – we are going to see a wealth of new stories. We're going to see a, a wealth of stories about people who we wouldn't tell stories about before just because we didn't think they'd be likable. And yet as we tell them, we will have a lot of people see themselves in these stories. Yeah, exactly. And so. and maybe there are other people like me out there who who like dislikable characters, even though they dislike them. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, yeah, because I've always liked 
for instance, serial killers as well, but most <laughs> movies and shows are, are from, like, male serial killers. So, ah, only a few you, exceptions, so. Are, are you watching Killing Eve? Uh, yes. Ah, nice. We could do a yeah. whole other show about Killing Eve. In just a second, we are actually going to sound a spoiler gong because there's something at the end of this movie that both Geta and I want to talk about. So we're going to wrap up the uh, actual review section. But if you have seen this movie, uh, do stick around because we're going to talk about some more nuts and bolts from the final uh, end of this movie. However, right now we do have to close off the main section and we close off the main section on this show with a souvenir, something tangible or intangible. If you could take away from this movie and keep you would uh you're up first what are you keeping from karen kusama's destroyer all right so we're taking it back to a discussion of the scene where bell and chris uh were talking and she said uh she was um, tired of being tired Mm -hmm. um i really liked uh sebastian's um uh light wash denim jacket with the lamb uh full like oh yes yes uh so i would keep uh that he was wearing a it had like a lamb wool lining and um he wore uh dark denim jeans and he looked pretty good uh but i like denim jackets so okay okay um i mean there's part of me that wants bell's black leather jacket just because it becomes so iconic by the time that this movie's over but since you already chose jacket i will take i will take one of the owls uh, from her her old her old teammate, who she goes to call on, and has one of the unsexiest sex scenes you will ever oh, see. I but had he, forgotten about that. How um, could you forget? <laughs> uh, but so in this in this room, there are little uh, little decorative owls dotting the whole room. So I want an owl just, just so I can, just so when like somebody comes, comes by and we want to have a conversation that is maybe a little unsavory, I can say, turn the owl. Uh, I can't have the owl looking at me in in this moment. Uh, so I want an owl. Um, we rate here on the matinee cast on a scale of one to four stars. Get what are you giving Karen Kusama's destroyer on a scale of one to four? Can I give a half star as well? Of course you can. Yeah. All right. Then uh, three and a half. Oh, okay. I'm a little lower than you. I'm at a three. Uh, mm-hmm. I like this movie a lot. And um, I, I, there's, I, I don't think it does anything extraordinary, but I think it does everything that it wants to do really, really well. So uh, I'm kind of grading on a different curve. I give it a three, like a really enthusiastic three stars um, that I think everybody should see it. Uh, but the, it, for it to kind of really elevate up i'd want a little bit more um i i do think it's really special though and i want to see more from like everybody we've talked about like i want to see sebastian stan doing more things i certainly want to see nicole kidman doing more roles like this and i want to see karen kusama making more movies it's a crime that she hasn't been able to make as many movies over the course of her career given what she's already made um but hey maybe you think that we're crazy maybe you think this movie is absolutely amazing and we're underselling it or maybe you think that uh it's terrible and we're both crazy um let me know ryan at the matinee.ca twitter where i'm matinee underscore ca or facebook.com slash dark matinee but turn back all ye who enter here we are going to spoil the heck out of the last 15 minutes of destroyer right after this
Okay, so last chance, people. As this film ends, we discover that it has actually been on something of a time loop, that the scene we walked in on is actually the final scene that Belle herself is the killer in this case that uh, she is caught up to the person she's been trying to catch and it really reframes a lot of what we've seen and why we've seen it uh, I guess first things first did that strike you as a gimmick or did that actually strike you as a really good storytelling trick the story uses um, non-linear timeline in the most smartest way possible is that it actually sort of um, takes you away from the actual timeline, I would say. Because I never guessed that the opening was the ending. No, I mean, like, that's that's the beautiful thing about it, is it's not really what I'd call a twist. Like an obvious surprise by the end. Like, I, about five minutes before, I'm like, oh! Like, you kind of realize it before a bit, <laughs> but at the same time, it, it doesn't feel like an... Like, oh, look at this showy end now. But, like, it feels very um, organic, I would say. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the the crazy thing is that most of the movie is still quite linear. Most of the movie, like, it, it, the movie begins when she walks into the office and somebody has sent her that $100 bill. And from that moment on, we are going forward in time. It's just that it tells the end at the beginning and makes us think that it's the beginning. It's not like a movie where we can tell we're walking yeah. in on the end. Um, you know, that, that it just, it slants our perspective just a little bit. Um, that by the time we get there, it's, um, it, it, it gives us just that little bit more. It's, it's a really neat trick. Actually. It's not, it's again, it's not a gimmick and it's not a twist, yeah. but just in the way it uses that, that um, device of putting the end at the beginning, um, it really hooks you in really quite nicely at the end. Yeah, and I feel like the the beginning also works really well as the beginning itself. Like because with many movies, maybe the ending as the beginning uh, feels very um, clashed. Mm -hmm. But with this uh, beginning, that's actually the end. Uh, the next scene um, feels like. Uh, continuation of that yeah. first scene, even yeah. though it's, it's, but it's so similar in style and cinematography that it weaves very well together that you never expect it because a lot of the time non-linear timelines you know that things have been shaken up um, and you can like tell um, that this doesn't go well with the movie that follows. Right, but right. Here. Um, I feel like if if you cut the end, the beginning would still feel like the beginning either way. Yeah, it's not a movie that hangs on its gimmick. You know, it's not a movie that you know you're, you're telling like, well, what's so special about this movie? And you tell your friends, well, it's told backwards. So you know, you you don't really know what to what to, kind of what to make of it until you realize it's being told backwards. Um, I mean, the thing that I like about it is that that first scene opens and you can tell that Belle has had a really, really rough night uh, yeah. as she would have chasing down this, chasing down her old uh, crime boss. Uh, but of course, the funny thing is that Belle looks like she's had a rough night most of the time anyway. Yeah, exactly. So it's yeah, totally nobody's surprised about it either. They're like, oh, you look like crap. Yeah. Like, yeah. You look really bad. But like everybody's like expecting of that. 
Yeah. Okay. And I mean, while we're talking about the ending, I, I do also want to include there's a scene that it happens late when she's talking to her daughter and she spent most of this movie seeming in the eyes of her daughter like a complete screw up. And it's um, it's wonderful to see another side of Belle in this moment when they're sitting in that diner. The daughter is saying, listen, I have this half remembered memory. Can uh, you can you tell me about it? Is it true? Am I making it up? Is what what was going on? And Belle, like they they have a beautiful moment, and you can see in just this one second that Belle recognizes that she has screwed up a lot of things in her life, but she really just wants her daughter to be the one good thing that she's done before she's done on this existence. Um, it's an amazing scene. And for me, it might very well make this movie. Like that's kind of the thing where I feel like if a dude had made this movie, that scene's not there. Yeah. It wouldn't have been that, uh, like that's the only part where you feel like, um, a female hand mm-hmm. had been there sort of like guiding because mm-hmm. it does have that nurture element. Yeah. Uh, and we see a little bit of, of, of her good side. So, so we're 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 on the record here as saying that the the surprise in the final uh, moments of this movie they're not a gimmick they make this mm-hmm. work um, it's it's not like a complete shock but it's a nice little turn that you don't really see coming yeah yeah nice but all right yeah but you're happy to see it yeah absolutely all right there we go that's uh, everything that you might want to know about Destroyer uh, again comments and uh, feedback are welcome but we are now going to move on to the other side we're going to talk about a few more movies right after this come on back in just a second I thought that I've been brought up the past oh, not you know you can never go back I gotta take it on the other side we're back get to i'm ryan it's matinee cast 213 we've been talking about karen kusuma's destroyer uh we're gonna go further down the spiral and talk about movies that would make good companion pieces uh and uh to just to change things up a little bit i'm gonna start us off uh this episode and i think the the obvious one of the obvious comparisons for this movie and i'm not sure if it's a movie you've seen because it's a little old now um is a movie from 1990 uh, by Catherine Bigelow. Have you ever seen Jamie Lee Curtis in Blue Steel? No, I have not. Okay. So similar in that it's got Jamie Lee Curtis playing a cop. Um, and similar in that off the, she's in the, in this movie, she's a rookie. Um, and in this film, she actually shoots and kills a suspect early on in the movie. Um, so she's kind of got to make peace with that and, and move forward from that. And I mean, you know, I mentioned earlier on when we were talking about destroyer sort of seeming like a macho movie, that's, that's really what's made Catherine Bigelow's entire career. Most of her movies are yeah. macho movies. And, um, what I love, I, first of all, I think I'd go on record as saying most of Blue Steel holds up. There's a couple moments where <laughs> late, late in the movie where it seems really 90s. Um, but again, it's, it's uh, a movie about kind of an unlikable character, kind of a character who we might question her choices because that's what we do. Um, and a movie where uh, it's giving its character something different to do. Jamie Lee Curtis does not go to the lengths that 
Nicole Kidman does. Like she still looks like the kind of Jamie Lee Curtis we're used to from the era from movies like Fish Called Wanda and True Lies and those sort and, and um, Trading Places and those sorts of movies. Um, but she does play uh, somebody somebody a little different than we're than we're used to seeing in these kinds of movies. Usually, when you see this kind of movie of a rookie cop shooting a suspect, um, it wouldn't be played by Jamie Lee Curtis. It might be it would be played by more of a Sebastian Stan type character. Yeah. Um, it's it's a it's a good movie. Catherine Bigelow. I mean, her career as well has been something incredible to follow. Um, she kind of like really. I mean, first of all, of course, she's the only female director so far to have an Oscar. Mm-hmm. Um, she, her movies again challenge the perspective of what we think about when we think about female filmmakers with movies like The Hurt Locker and Zero Dark Thirty. Um, we were talking about on the year end show that when she was making Near Dark, one of her earliest films, that the studio actually only allowed her to make it if she had a, a male filmmaker as, as like kind of her co director. Um, mm. so it's, it's, um, it's an earlier movie because I kind of think that a lot of people now are really coming to Catherine Bigelow um, starting with The Hurt Locker. And that kind of takes away a, a huge chunk of her career, even if they're coming to her with Point Break. This is before mm-hmm. Point Break. And uh, and it's a really good movie. I, I'm not a big fan of Bigelow. Oh, no. I know. It's it's horrible to say that. You're going uh, to have to turn in your card. Are you kidding? <laughs> but... um. Uh, the Hurt Locker was so boring to me that um, it was really lucky very... it's late in this show. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> um, it's very hard to dislike uh, female directors in general. I feel like I'm in a place where I should like them um, mm. because they're doing something that maybe, you know, uh, a lot of women um, dream about but don't get the chances to do. Yeah. Uh, so I'm very proud of her and what she's doing, and I completely um, support her as a, another fellow female. But um, her movies don't work for me. Okay. Um, I, I struggle with them because um, they tend to be too long for me. Uh, I feel like for me, two hours is like my limit. Yeah, her movies are very long. Yeah, and I feel like that with every two classics, two hours plus. Uh, already, like I'm gonna like sit <laughs> back because most classics are over two hours. Like in 2018, I think uh, nine out of my 12 movies that I watched, I watched 14 actually, were over two hours, and I disliked most of them because okay. they felt too long. Okay, okay. I mean, like, listen, I I think. What you touch upon is something that I've had lots of conversations with where there's there's a larger conversation where you feel like you should be supportive, but at the same time, you 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 feel like you're lying. We brought this up when when I was doing uh, two years ago when I was doing the 52 films with women project. Um, we did a we did an episode um, with Sam McCosh and she and I talked about um the films that we were watching and whether you should grade on a curve, because on the one hand you want to be supportive of, of female filmmakers, but at the other hand, you don't want to trash what they're doing. I I think as long as you are kind of supportive of the career and you give it a shot, you know, I think that that's, that's all that 
anybody could ever ask is if you can say, I don't like Catherine Bigelow's movies, but I want her to make more movies. And yeah. you know, maybe I want other women to make these movies because they'll tell it better. Like I want Karen Kusuma to tell this story because I feel like she'll tell Hurt Locker better than she did. Um, that's cool. You know, it just, you know, it's, it, I think it only gets bad when you start to really rag on them as a person, not as an artist. Exactly. That's like, that's, that's not nice, though. I, I say, <laughs> usually when I write reviews, I don't hate on the person. I just don't like their work. And it's just a subjective opinion. Yeah. Uh, I did watch Zero Dark Thirty after I saw The Hurt Locker. Also found it too long. But uh, <laughs> but it's still I still watch her movies. Yeah, it's yeah. not like, oh, I, I, I don't frame my opinions based on just her. Uh, I, I base them on her movies yeah. and that's different because it's work yeah uh what do you got as a as a selection for the other side uh so i'm gonna make a very dark double feature uh i picked uh nightcrawler oh wow okay yeah because uh, it's a completely um different movie in a sense that it has a male lead mm -hmm. uh but both movies have an unlikable uh main character and a likable supporting character uh, there um, with uh, Riz Ahmed uh, in Nightcrawler, uh, like sort of uh, being mirrored by Sebastian Stan in Destroyer. If I could subtitle the show, I would say Sam McCosh is listening because that film we all, I also did an episode with Sam McCosh about Nightcrawler. So I'm going to include a link of that in the show notes, um, to say nothing of the point that I brought up off the top of the show where, uh, the last time I had a concert followed by a, a, a podcast, it was with Sam McCosh. So somewhere in Australia right now, her ears are burning. Um, but to your point, Nightcrawler, um, you know, it's, um, that's a movie where, again, you have a female character doing some unlikable things. Like, I think about Rene Russo in that movie and the bargains that she makes and the way that she talks and how she interacts with uh, with um, Jake Gyllenhaal. And I think to myself, what, you know, what do we say about her that we might not say about a male news producer? True, but I wouldn't say her as a bad character in this movie oh, no. at all. I, I, I liked her a lot um, because I think Jake Gyllenhaal's character is um, is in the dark side so much and we realized this very early on that he's not a very likable character. But the movie is a very good double feature for Destroyer because it shows the same uh, type of unlikable character taking the lead and working towards something he's very passionate about and reaching his goals, uh, just like Belle is trying to reach her goal. Um, but we view the film, uh, I think, subconsciously differently than we would with Destroyer. So I would say watch Nightcrawler first and then go into Destroyer and see the kind of psychological difference of viewing a female character uh, being in a sort of same type of situation. And with Nightcrawler, um, it's a very fine example of a very unlikable character being likable because he is so... He's so well played as well. Uh, Gyllenhaal also lost weight for this. And um, there's a scene in the film where he punches a mirror that actually happened. So he literally bleed for the movie, bled for the movie. And 
And I, f- I feel like watching Destroyer, I didn't click uh, with the connection with the Nightcrawler. Okay. But after, okay. after I did, I realized I liked Destroyer a lot more, um, which is the point I wanted to make. Really? Yeah, because I felt like I was much easier. Uh, it was much easier to like Jake Chillenhall in Nightcrawler um, than it was before uh, re- liking Nicole in Destroyer before realizing it. Okay. So I switched my um, rating. Actually, I had it in three before, oh, but I so you gave it a four. Yeah. Ah. Yeah. Or like I give it a three and a half more because I liked it more after I realized this that I was watching it from a very uh, a perspective I was comfortable with. Okay. So um, I kind of imagined her differently after I realized that she's pretty much like Jake Gyllenhaal's character in, in Nightcrawler, just a, a, a slightly different. Yeah, way. I think she's she's actually got a, a better moral compass than than yeah, Jake Hall's exactly. character does. That's for sure. Um, there's other connections actually that that make it a good pairing. Um, I mean, first of all, they're both Los Angeles movies. I actually did feel like Destroyer used Los Angeles in a really good way. Um, uh, you know, not not quite to the same effect that a movie like Widows uses Chicago. It does make great use of the landscape. There's a really good scene that takes place overlooking Dodger Stadium. Um, you know, she she moves about some of its more working class neighborhoods, some of its more affluent neighborhoods. Um, Nightcrawler similarly move, like moves all over L.A. Its movements are a little bit more pronounced because you follow him in his car. There's an incredible car chase in the middle of, of Nightcrawler that uses the Los Angeles roads to great effect as well. But I think the difference, big difference is Destroyer happens mostly during the daytime um, and we see very little of nighttime I, 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 as far as I remember. Uh, that, that's, that actually, that could be what makes the double feature so good is you, you yeah. watch the first one first, that's the daytime movie, and then you watch the nighttime movie. Yeah, exactly. Because Nightcrawler has very little day daytime scenes. Yeah. So it's like different. There, what one um, is like a day crawler. <laughs> <laughs> and then the nightcrawler. Other other one is doing his thing during the night. Love it. So yeah. Love it. Nice. Um, well, I'm gonna give us. Um, Two more really quickly that I'm going to combine into one pick. So um, to anybody who wants to watch Nicole Kidman play somebody unsavory um, and realize that she has been as talented as she is for a very long time, uh, I'm going to send you back to 1995 to a Gus Van Sant movie called To Die For. Have you seen this one? No. Oh, okay. So she plays um, she plays a weather reporter on like a little – small town uh weather like like news channel and she's got dreams of making it big and being uh being on like national tv doing the weather but she has to do some really really nasty things to to get there i saw this movie a little bit too young i didn't really understand the idea of black comedy so understanding that some of this stuff was trying to be played for really twisted satire i i didn't entirely get at the time now this movie really really sings and it's one of joaquin phoenix's um earlier roles like he's he's young ish in this movie but not it's not him as a kid he did some stuff as a child um matt dillon is in this movie it's gus van sant back when he was doing really good stuff casey affleck is another one of the uh 
another one of the group of kids who she gets in touch with to kind of pull off her uh, her plan to make it as 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 a big time actor, and it's um it's a movie that's kind of got its eye on tabloid culture. This was ninety five back when uh, tabloid journalism was really really at its zenith in in America, and the whole idea of twenty four seven coverage of scandals was really something to examine. And this movie does it so much better than a movie like um, Natural Born Killers, which I think is kind of aged really badly. I feel like this movie has aged really well. Nicole Kidman in this movie is much more she's she's playing the movie star in this one she's she's you know much more clean and wholesome um which kind of actually plays well because that makes her dark side a real contradiction like if if bell did some of the things that she was doing you probably just say yeah that makes sense but to <laughs> see somebody as as bright and shining as nicole kidman's character in to die for do and say some of what she does and says <laughs> you're like oh my god um, so that's one movie I would suggest as well. And then the other one, we kind of touched on it earlier as well. Um, and I, I haven't actually watched it in a while, but I feel like it's time to revisit it. Um, I also thought about uh, Monster by Patty Jenkins with Charlize Theron. Um, Charlize Theron, of course, won an Oscar for this movie. It's uh, 2003, another female filmmaker. Um, not quite telling a macho story, but certainly telling a story about a kind of woman that you don't normally dedicate movies to when it comes to Eileen Warnos. Um, you've seen this one, of course. Oh, of course. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's uh, probably like me. It's, it's been a while, right? Yeah. It's, it's the kind of movie you really don't want to go back to. No. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, I think it's weird because I love like, for instance, Zodiac. I love that movie. Uh, I watch it. At least once a year, I try mm. to. But mm. uh, with with Monster, even though I like the idea behind serial killers and I'm really curious about the psychology and everything, uh, I wasn't a big fan of the film. I don't know why. Uh, uh, yeah, I don't I know liked either. It, but like, yeah. it might be like I mean, again, it's a movie now that's 15 years old, and both you and I are, are a lot older now. Like, like you you wouldn't have seen it when it first came out. You probably saw it several yeah. years ago. Um, yeah. I, I sort of wonder, I guess I bring it up now in this conversation because I wonder how it plays now in hindsight. Um, I, I don't know if maybe I'll like it more or I'll like it less. I certainly, I know I certainly won't like the character of Eileen anymore, but yeah. I'll be very curious to see the portrayal, like to see what Patty Jenkins does with the portrayal. I mean, I haven't gone back to it after Wonder Woman, so I'm kind of curious to see if I see seeds of Wonder Woman in Monster. Um, I'd like to watch it from Christina Ricci's perspective because she plays, um, you know, she plays Selby Wall, her 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 girlfriend, basically, and see, watch it through her eyes. Um, and it's another, like, this was a movie where, Charlize Theron at the time and now still, again, is very luminous, very graceful, very, um, you know, commands the screen when she's on it, um, Mm -hmm. whether she's playing uh, Furiosa and is and is actually kind of dirtied up. And we're really just, you know, we're always captivated by her posture and her eyes and her badassery, uh, how that mixes in, um, or a movie like this where she's almost unrecognizable. Um, I, again, it's kind of like what we were saying about destroyer. I don't think it's a gimmick in this movie to have her done up. So nasty. I think it actually, 
uh, works towards what they want to do. Yeah, it it sort of blends in very nicely to the plot as well. Yeah, like sometimes the physical transformations maybe feel like they they're out of place or or they don't fit, but but with portraying like people who have you know actual people based yeah. on real life, I feel like. Hollywood tends to mostly make them prettier, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, but with Monster, they made it more realistic, which is why it doesn't stand out as like a gimmick because yeah. it's it feels yeah. real. Uh, I did uh, think about um, a simple favor. Uh, oh, just I love that movie so yeah, much. It's it's like a kind of like a more flashier version or like a more. Um, more beautiful version but it's also about really like unlikable female characters in a way because Blake Lively does take on a role that you don't immediately think that she would be that kind of person when you start the movie yeah but and it yeah and it, and it challenges you like you were talking about you know books about this is this one is of course based on a based on a book as well but you're yeah. talking about books where where the female protagonists are unlikable um yeah. i mean there there is nothing about well Blake Lively's wardrobe is incredible, but there's nothing about Blake Lively's character in this movie. There's yeah. nothing about Emily Nelson that one would actually like. So well, I, do, I do like her supportiveness. Oh yeah, <laughs> she's, I mean, she's, yeah, she's a good mom. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's a, I, I like a mom who drinks in the afternoon. Yeah. Um, that's yeah. I you know what I that is a movie that was kind of my. One of my MVPs of 2019 was a simple mm. favor because it's so pulpy and shiny, and I feel like it came and went, and nobody really noticed it. It made a decent amount of money uh, in North America, but I, I don't feel like it really caught on. And yet, it's so entertaining uh, watching her and Anna Kendrick play two such different types of women um, yeah. against each other is, is incredible. Um, I mean, that would, that would make a little bit of whiplash with, uh, with after, <laughs> after demolition. That's for sure. Yeah, it, it does. Yeah. But I, I, I really, I was very surprised. I didn't, I didn't see it in the theater actually, because uh, I missed it mm-hmm. because like you said, I don't think it made a splash in Europe, mm-hmm. uh, which is a shame because I think it like, especially for Estonia, this type of dark humor would have worked so well. Uh, Ocean's 8 should have been this. Yes. Instead yes. of being like, what well, it was. It just went and it didn't make a splash, but a simple favor should have been Ocean's 8, it should uh, have. in a sense. Absolutely. Good call. Now, that would make a great double feature with Destroyer. Uh, you know, watch watch some women who you may not like and see how <laughs> see how much you relate by the time it's all over. Exactly. One of one of them more more eye catching than the other, if nothing else than her wardrobe. Um, but there we go. That is uh, episode two hundred fourteen of the matinee cast. I'd like to thank at the Drumsy for coming by. Come on back on Monday, January twenty eighth, for episode two hundred and fifteen. We are going to be discussing the ninetieth Oscar nominations. Getter can be found at metalray dot com. Uh, do you got anything coming up this week that people can look for? Uh, I do plan to write a review about Netflix's uh, Sex Education, which is a series that premiered on the 11th of January. Nice. And uh, kept me up all night because I binge-watched it in one sitting. (laughs) (laughs) It was amazing. Good. Yeah, yeah, um, we talked about Velvet Goldmine uh, mixing genres. I think um, Sex Education mixes uh, time 
periods. Okay. It has a very 80s, 90s feel to the wardrobe, to the style, to the way people are talking, like Juno in a way. Okay. But it takes place nowadays in the context. So some gotcha. of the buns and stuff are very current. Okay, so people can certainly look for that. And um, across the universe, we're hoping for new episodes in 2019. Do you guys have any ideas of what we might be able to look forward to? Or are you still, uh, you're still yeah. kind of putting things together? <laughs> we're putting, we, we want to do a best list uh, ah, yes. show first, yeah. And uh, we're probably going to do um, Oscars as well, even though it's very... Um, it's a very dangerous topic, I would say, after the Golden Globes especially, but um, we'll try. <laughs> Good luck with that. Make people it, can find yeah, that, of course. Here, yeah. Nice. And if people want to follow you on Twitter, where can they find you? Uh, Metarite. Very nice. My site is thematinee.ca. For more audio content, you can find more back episodes by going to thematinee.ca slash podcasting. You can also find them on Spotify, Pocket Stitcher Radio, Blueberry, Apple's podcast app, Google Play, and the iTunes Store. Everything gives you handy ways to subscribe for free and get alerts when new episodes drop. Feedback on Destroyer can be left in the comments section of the site. You can email me, ryan, at thematinee.ca. Twitter, where I'm matinee underscore ca or facebook.com slash darkmatinee. Any final thoughts, Madeer, before you go get ready for your party? I hope uh, female directors will um, push the um, envelope further and make amazing movies. That will surprise us. Here, here. Forget there. I'm Ryan. We'll see you at the matinee.